If you turn with me in your Bibles to um, John chapter 1, and I think one of the most amazing things about Christmas is how human it is. And you know, when we look at Christmas and we look at all of the celebration and all of the um, glitz to it, uh, I think that one of the last things that we can see Christmas as is that it's human and that it is more something that is just a fantasy. And I just wanted to talk about the humanness of Christmas. And let's turn to First John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And I'll just read this. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And when we look at Christmas, and we look at this season that we celebrate, um, there are several characteristics about this season that really make our Christianity very unique, unique from all other all other religions. Um, Christmas shows us; it tells us a story why uh, Christianity is unique. For example, in all other religions, a prophet arrives and teaches how we can find eternal life, giving us a new religious paradigm to live out. In Christianity, though, God Himself comes to us as one of us, gives himself as eternal life. In John 17, verse 3, to know him is eternal life. And when we look at uh, Christmas, it also shows us that salvation is by grace and that Jesus arrived on this earth by grace. And Christmas tells us about a God who humanizes himself so that we can have true intimacy with God. You know, Christianity is the only religion that offers intimacy with God. There's no other religion that offers that intimacy with God. You have to be uh, in Islam. Allah is good and he's gracious and he forgives everyone, but there is no, there is no justice that is satisfied for him to be gracious. And... Christmas shows that the love of God really matters and that there exists an unceasing river of joy beneath all the sorrows of the world. And when you think about when Jesus was born, think about the level of sorrow that was going on in the world at the time. That level of sorrow, um, which was so great. And then at that day, Jesus was born. And so the world system and the devil are constantly fighting the true gospel in the Christmas story. Um, just thinking the other day, you know, Christmas has become so commercialized, it's like a Walt Disney movie, isn't it? 
I mean, you look at the manger scene, you see a quaint little, cute little house type of barn with, you know, at night, beautiful night with the stars and it's glowing. And there's Jesus in the manger and he's glowing. And it just looks like something out of Walt Disney. But, and it just really comes across as like a magical, gnostical fantasy that is totally unrelatable to common man. I mean, what does that mean to, like, the guy downtown who's homeless or doesn't know God or the drug addict or, you know, the family that's about ready to split up because of divorce? I mean, what does that picture mean to them? It has no relatable content to it. And, and so the story of the Christmas is really the gospel. You know, we hear a lot about the spirit of Christmas, but I think we really should be focusing not on the spirit of Christmas, but really, what is the message of Christmas, which is the gospel? And, you know, during Christmas, it's just an awesome time to really be able to share the gospel with people. And this is what the devil really fights. He wants to fight. He really wants to fight um, an understanding of what Christmas is really all about. And what is Christmas all about? It's about this amazing theological thing that had happened. It's this amazing event where God came in the form of a man... Jesus Christ. He was incarnated as one of us. And if we understand the word carnation or incarnation, we're going to understand what Christmas is really all about. You know, when we sing our, these Christmas carols, especially the hark the herald angels sing, uh, Charles Wesley wrote that in one of the lines we sung, he's, he, he says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, which is a beautiful, uh, a beautiful statement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So if we understand um, the incarnation of Christ, then it teaches us that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened. Now, a woman by the name of Dorothy Sayer wrote this, the incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, uh, despair, and death. He, has, he was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. And so this is what really makes Christianity or this is what makes Christmas so amazing that God became human. And I just want to dwell there for a moment um, that this is something that is so incredibly beyond uh, anything that's ever happened in human history, that God would come in the form of a man, and not only in the form of a man, but come in the form of weakness and surrender himself to all the trouble and all the pain that is included in this human life. And why is that amazing? Well, there's a th- three reasons why. Number one, first, if God became truly human, then we have a remarkable resource to face pain and suffering. We don't worship a God who has been not 
impacted by our suffering. You know where it says in uh, Matthew chapter 6 that your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. And that Greek word know is E-I-D-O. And what it means is to know something because of a direct perception. Meaning that God knows because he's personally perceived it. When has God personally perceived our, our suffering? When has God personally perceived our needs or our, fa- our financial trouble or our family troubles or our personal difficulties? When has God personally seen that? Well, he has seen it through the eyes of his son. That means what Jesus has experienced because God and Jesus are one. God himself understands what that means. And so this gives us an amazing um, ability to have someone that can counsel us and to minister to us. Um, and this is more valuable than an explanation. I think that the doctrine of the incarnation is kind of hard to explain unless you observe it, unless you experience it, unless you are comforted by the Spirit of Christ in the details of your life. And um, what is so beautiful is, is that we don't have a high priest that is um, separate from our troubles and from, separate from our suffering. He is a man who is acquainted with our grief. And when we go to that throne of grace in Hebrews chapter 4, when we go to that throne of grace, verse 16, that we can find grace and help in the time of need. This is a throne that is uh, a throne that is going to be in Jerusalem during the millennium. This is a throne that is in us today through uh, the kingdom of God. And, and so he gives us his personal presence in our suffering. And this is the greatest message of, of, of Christmas right here. Emmanuel. God is with us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. That this is the greatest. Um, this is the greatest message of Christmas. Is that God is with us. That he is personally present with us. In the morning. In the evening when we're sleeping, uh, when we're alone, when we're with people, Jesus is present with us. Jesus is present here. The baby in the manger uh, is present with us today. Emmanuel, God with us. And for the Jewish mind, that was so hard to, that was such a brand new concept because they were very used to the Mount Sinai where they could not approach that mountain that was burning with fire that the animals that were even going near it had to be killed because it was such a holy mountain. No one could approach that mountain. I think in that moment when we feel the least worthy and the least um, uh, qualified to approach the throne or that presence of God, that throne of grace, is the moment that that God really wants us to draw near. Like that moment when we feel the least qualified, the least worthy. That's the moment that God says, you got to come right now. Because it's a throne of grace. That means that God's going to give us what we don't deserve. And that's how God's plan is based on our life. That's God's plan for our employment, for our work, for our family, for our uh, for what we do in our life, for our ministry, for what we're doing here. You know, we're a team here and last night we just had such a fun time together and I was just thinking like, you know, as a team God wants to bless us in many ways. Uh, we are not preaching some, some heresy. We are not 
out here doing this for our own monetary gain. We are just really here for the gospel's sake. We're here for people. And we are in the, we have great grace on our lives in Acts chapter 4. And I believe that God is going to do great things amongst us. And he already is. And this is based on his grace. Like any time that we look at our life outside of this grace is we're going to be facing, um, we're going to be facing a work system, some type of religious paradigm that we have to, that we have to um, attain to. And so, um, God with us, Emmanuel, and this is what really makes um, Christmas so amazing. Secondly, if God became truly human, then Christians should, we should not be so impressed with the glitz, the physical beauty, status, achievement, and power. And isn't, I mean, again, like, Christmas has become, all of this hasn't, it's become all about the glitz, and it's become all about the, um, you know, well, my neighbor got a beautiful tree, I've got to get the same tree, or, you know, I can't have some cheap Christmas decorations outside, I've got to have, like, the most expensive so that everybody, you know, can, can see that we have means and we have money that we're not cheap. It's like, that is not the spirit of Christ. That is the spirit, that's another spirit of Christmas, that that's not the spirit of God. Christmas is, again, about the gospel, and it's about God with us. And I think that people, people are really lonely. People struggle during Christmas, and it can be such a depressing time of year because it really is about, they are missing the whole point of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of of the Holy Spirit in our life that just supports us and builds us up and encourages us. Uh, the incarnation, if God became truly human, uh, the incarnation means that God was willing to empty himself of his glory and power and live humbly as a servant. And this should mean, to the, this should mean an end to all snobbery. You know, this should be like, you know, if Christ has done this, then Christmas is not about anything but us uh, humbling ourselves in the in under the mighty hand of God in the presence of God and living with a mission that like Christ had that we actually Christmas can be an amazing time where we can serve and um, minister to people Jesus didn't come other than he came in extremely ordinary in appearance and so Christmas is not a time where we just get overcome or occupied with what we see and uh, it really is about the beauty, hum- the beautiful humility of Christ. And the third, if God became truly human, then matter matters. And what does that mean? Um, how many of you have heard about Gnosticism, what Gnosticism is? Gnosticism is a philosophy, a Greek philosophy, where basically all matter is evil, and anything that is spiritual or spirit is good. And this really impacted asceticism uh, in early in, in, in some parts of uh, Christian history, where spirituality meant something ascetic, where you had to live in denial of your evil body. Your body was evil, and this led to some extreme versions of Christianity. Um, but God came; God assumed a physical body and entered our material world. Isn't that amazing? This material world that was separated from God, that was separated from God because of 
sin um, became a very bad place before the flood. It became just a, just a terrible place. And after the flood, uh, it just continued to be a place where um, uh, this world was not our home. And God came into this material world. Many philosophies that see the material world as either an illusion, like Eastern religion, there's a, there's a philosophy in Eastern religion called Maya, and what that means is that the material world is an illusion. It's just an illusion. It's not real. It's a fantasy. And uh, it, is, it, is not, it is not the um, palpable content of what true life is or what reality is, and that it's polluted and intrinsically evil like the Greeks' Gnosticism. There's also another philosophy today, and that's called, um, that is, that is a, really a product of random cho- chance and doomed to final extinction uh, in the death of the universe. And uh, this is what modern secular thinkers um, purport. These three types of philosophies um, were invaded when Christ came as a little baby, when God came in the form of a human being. And it made a statement that when God came, he believed that the material world that we live in could be redeemed and ruled by grace. And this is Romans 5, verse 17. And basically what that means is, is that we live in this world and we can overcome it. Uh, we live in this world that is just not understood by people. People don't know how to relate to their world without God. People don't know how to relate to the physical world without God. They can't relate to um, whether it's an illusion, whether it's something evil, or whether it's something to be worshipped, or something that's going to be winding up, uh, that's going to be destroyed in the end by like, like the modern secularists. The unsaved person or the, or the Christian that's not spirit-filled and that doesn't have good teaching of the word of grace in their life, we just don't know how to relate to our world. They're either in the rat race trying to make it all happen and live up to some unrealistic standard, or they are just going to live on the other end of poverty and just live in just absolute rejection of any form of organized society. Uh, people without the Christmas child in their life being born in their heart cannot relate to their world. When we, fa- we, face these, um, we face these challenges in life, we face these conflicts, these difficulties, and without the Holy, without Jesus Christ, um, without the Holy Spirit quickening us moment by moment, we just have no idea how to relate to this life. And this is what... Um, this is what the devil really wants to, what the devil really wants to fight. Finally, finally, um, if Jesus is God Himself, became human, we live with an irrepressible, infallible hope. And this is really uh, the great news about about Christmas is that. The resurrection shows us that God intends to redeem the physical world as well as the spiritual. That's Romans 8, verse 19 through 22. 
Someday all deformity, decay, sin, disease, imperfection will be wiped away. Whatever problem we face, whether disease or injustice or some other suffering, eventually God's power is going to, over, is going to triumph over it. Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes with the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. So just in closing, when we think about the Christmas message and the gospel of Christmas, and not the spirit of Christmas, because there is a spirit of Christmas. When we think about the gospel message of Christmas, Jesus is God, and that God that means that God has landed. And Jesus is man, and that means that God cares for us, that God has become human, and the ideal has penetrated the real and, and, and transforms us into his likeness. You know, Christmas is um, really a time that is really misunderstood, and the whole message of Christmas has been so fought by the devil and by the world system. Christmas is not about giving. Okay, you hear people talk about that. Christmas is not about giving, you know. It's not about me giving something or doing good to other people. You find, you find especially in our society, and this is a good thing about our society, but you find in our society that um, even unsaved people will do this. They'll look for some kind of humanitarian good that they can do for people that are in bad, you know, in bad circumstances in their life. And that's not the gospel of Christmas. The gospel of Christmas is that uh, you and I can't change ourselves, and we cannot change our condition, we cannot change our sin, nor can we make ourselves any better. And we cannot really change our physical world, that we are really trapped in a world that has laws, and it has, uh, it has, it has, uh, guidelines like the law of gravity, the law of, you know, diminishing results, um, you know, this law of the thermal, thermal dynamics that everything is on a stage of getting older and corrupting and, um, and dying. We can't change that without Jesus Christ being born in our hearts. Uh, Christ, Christmas is about being born again, about Christ being born in us where we receive that free gift of eternal life. It's where, you know, remember in John chapter 9 where, the, where Jesus comes to the man who was paralyzed and uh, he just, from birth. And what does he first do to this man? Does he heal him? I think, no, that would be what the humanitarian would do. The humanitarian would first heal him. Jesus first forgives him of his sins. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Then he heals him. And it just tells us that what is more important to God today is not changing our circumstances or fixing our, our economic or social status. It really is Christ being in us, Christ living in us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, that, that hope of glory. And when that happens, then that is what changes the world around us. When Christ dwells in our hearts by faith in Ephesians chapter 3, that's what's going to change our world around us. And we'll just finish with that. That um, next week, I just want to talk about like some of the historical points about about Christ's birth and um, how we came about celebrating Christmas on December twenty fifth. And there's a lot of historical discussion about that. But just today, I want us to walk away with this one thought that 
that Christmas is really about um, God humbling himself, being in a born being born in a world that is very hostile towards him, being in a place where uh, even though centuries of prophecies had happened, no one was there to greet Christ. And the same thing would happen today. If Jesus was to be born today, the same exact thing would have happened. He would have been born in some random place. Not so random, but in some place that seems random to us. Uh, there would be no one there to greet him. Because this world does not welcome God. It does not welcome Jesus Christ. It does not welcome his spirit. And Jesus would be born. And as he's born, I'm just so amazed by this. Where, are, where is everybody? You know, where, why doesn't... Where is it? Why isn't there no one there to greet Christ, God born in the flesh? The, God had to go out to the fields and call shepherds in to welcome the birth of Christ. But that's okay. God is not insecure, and he doesn't need people to uh, celebrate his plan. God has a plan, and it's based on grace. Jesus was born according to the grace of God. And I just think that the humanness of Christmas is what we can focus on, that the gospel message is that God coming in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, came in the likeness of sinful flesh, took our sin upon him, that we would have eternal life. Amen? Mm -hmm. So let's just pray.